Welcome to the Second Students North podcast. My name is Shelby. We're in a series called Insanity. Insanity is defined as doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. This series is about changing our habits in order to bring God more glory with our lives. We hope you enjoy week three. Uh, Insanity is the series that we're in. You guys, we're looking at Romans 7. And the whole idea, if you guys um, have uh, read through or you were here the first night, we talked about Paul was writing, talking about he um, doesn't do the things he wants to do, but instead he does the things that he hates. And we talked about insanity being, uh, the, the definition of sanity is doing the same thing over and over again, but expecting different results. And you read in that passage in Romans, you almost sense that Paul is like, man, I just keep doing the same thing over and over again. It's the thing that I hate. And so as we dive in even tonight, you guys, our goal in insanity and through this process is for us to think about, man, what are those things that we want to be different this year? What are the things that you want to change and to realize that we can't keep doing the same things over and over again and expect a different result? So I'm going to open us up in a word of prayer, and man, I don't want to get ahead of what God wants to do tonight. I don't want to get behind. I want to share God's truth with you tonight. That's just kind of been my prayer um, as I've been preparing. Um, I know each one of you are here for a reason, and I don't want to, I just don't want to get ahead of what God wants to say tonight, and I want God to speak directly to you in whatever situation that you're in. So let me pray for us, and let's jump in. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you so much for tonight. God, for this moment right here that we have, not just to come and to have fun and to sing songs, but God, to be in your presence. Lord, right now in this room, there are students who want things to change in their life, who want things to be different. But God, we can't keep doing the same things over and over again and expect a different result. God, that's insanity. And so, God, right now as we open up your word, God, would you teach us how to put into practice, Lord, the things that you would have us do that would break this cycle of insanity in our life. Lord, I pray that each one of these students tonight as they hear your truth would truly be transformed, God, as they respond to you. Lord, we need you, we love you, we praise you, we ask all these things in the powerful, precious name of Jesus. Amen. So insanity, doing that thing, um, doing something the same way, expecting a different result. You guys, tonight we want to give insight into how to break that. And if you were here the first night, we talked about insanity, what that means. We dived into Romans chapter 7. Last week, if you remember, Grayson didn't just shave his head, um, which was insane. But we talked about repentance. We talked about how in order for things to change, you can't just keep living the same way. There has to be a moment when you identify those things in that cycle and realize, I can't keep hanging on to this thing. I've got to begin to turn away. And tonight, we're actually going to be talking about accountability. And maybe some of you have heard the word accountability. Maybe some of you have a skewed view of what accountability is, because I know when I hear that word, maybe you've heard the term accountability partner, somebody who holds you accountable, and it always seems like a really negative thing. Like accountability is when you bring someone into your life, and all they do is tell you all the bad things that you're doing, and they just call you out all the time. 
And I will say, part of accountability is having some hard conversations. But let me tell you something. Accountability is so much more than just somebody being in your life to tell you when you're doing wrong. And so the term I want to use tonight, two words interchangeably. I want to use the word accountability and the word community. Because at the end of the day, what I desire for each one of you and for you guys to really break out of a cycle of insanity, or maybe it's a cycle of sin that you're in, what it's really going to take is not just somebody to tell you when you're doing wrong, but it's going to take a group of people who come around you to do life with you. It's going to take a community of people, and it looks different than just calling you out. And tonight, I want us to take a look at what that looks like to have somebody hold you accountable. What does it look like to live in community with other people? It's interesting. I was talking, I talked to students a lot about being caught in a cycle of sin. And I thought, you know, when I was in college, my life began to go a certain direction away from some of the sinful habits that I had in high school. And it's interesting because I think, how did that happen? And I remember that there were moments where I was faced with a temptation to do something with maybe a group of people. And in the back of my mind, I'd started helping out in a uh, Sunday school class at the church that I'd been attending. In the back of my mind, I thought, man, I can't go partake in that if I'm going to be investing in students' lives. I had a group of eighth grade boys that I would invest in, and um, it was quite interesting. Uh, but that group, just me having those individuals in my life, it held me accountable. It wasn't a group of eighth grade boys that would call me out and say, oh, you better not do something bad. But it was a group of people, it was a community that I was a part of, that I knew that I had a role in, and because I had a significant spiritual role, whenever I was tempted to do something that I knew would lead me away from being effective in that community, I had to say, no, I can't do that. And it helped hold me accountable. And so I want us to try to wrap our minds around what is accountability? What does it mean to have a community around us that will help us break the cycle of insanity that some of you are in and you're like, I can't get out of it. I keep doing this thing, like in Romans 7 when Paul says, I keep doing this thing that I hate. How do we break that cycle? There was something that drove me a little bit crazy. I got to show you guys this picture. I had to work it in some way. But there was something that kind of drove me insane this week, and I'm going to show you a picture of my daughter in her room. I don't know what this evokes in you, but this was my daughter's room. And just raise your hand. How many of you, your room looks like this right now? Anybody? That's my room right now. Come on. <laughs> so, so let me just give you some info real quick. So this is my daughter's room last week. She decides that it's a good idea. This is the first time she's done this. I did this as a kid, so it's like, I understand. She pulled everything out of the closet. She pulled clothes, everything. She has a little toy chest back there. She pulled everything out, and then she proceeded to pull everything out of her drawers. Every piece of clothing she had was just spread all over the ground. I walked in, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm about to have like a panic attack. This is driving me crazy, and she's just living in that, and she's just playing in it, and in her mind, she's like, Man, this is fun right here. <laughs> but here's the thing. That right there, that is like fun for a moment, but she can't exist. Like when you see that, you know like if you came to my house and you walked into her room and you're like, whoa, <laughs> what happened in here? I'm like, oh, it's just always like that. It's just always a mess. You would be like, well, you're a horrible parent. But see, this is what, I show you this picture because 
I think this kind of describes maybe what's happening in this room tonight. And I think it's actually a picture of accountability. Because for some of you guys, your life, if you're honest, it kind of looks like that. It is a mess. You have pulled everything out. And you are kind of involved in everything you can be. And some of those things are not very good. And it is just a mess. And here's the thing. It is my role to walk into my daughter's room and say, Tatum, you are so sweet, girl. Oh, my goodness, you were sweet. It's my job to tell her, like, Tatum, you can't do this ever again, <laughs> right? Don't ever do this again. But I don't just call her out. What I begin to do is I begin to help her. Her room does not look like this now. I should have taken a picture of it being put back together. But what I did, I walk in, Lauren walks in, my wife, and we help her take the mess that she's in. And we tell her, this is bad. This is not good. But hey, come on, sweetheart. We're going to help you put everything back. I'm going to come alongside you. I'm going to help you organize this so you can actually function in this room. And students, I share that because some of you in this room, your life is a mess. And you're in this cycle of insanity. And what you need is not just somebody to come and tell you, hey, get your life together or else. But what you need is for somebody to come into your life and say, let me help you put it back together the way that it goes. I've kind of been down this road. You see, I'm a little bit older than Tatum, so I kind of understand what she needs. And so I can kind of help her get everything put back together. And students, that's accountability. That's what I want to talk to you about tonight is allowing people into your life that will help you put things back together. And so we're going to look at Ecclesiastes chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, there's just four verses here. But I talk a whole lot, and so that may take me 20 minutes to cover. But I want to cover four verses talking about the accountability, the community that we should exist in, and what that looks like, and how that community can help break the cycle of insanity. And so Ecclesiastes chapter 4, if you went to winter retreat, you heard me talk from Ecclesiastes. I really don't know why this book is on my heart so much, but God has laid it on my heart over the past few weeks. And I just want to share with you this truth that I truly believe, man, if you will take this serious tonight, students, the mess that your life is in, God can begin tonight to put your life back together if you'll let him. So it says this in Ecclesiastes 4 verse 1. Not verse 1. We're going to start in verse 9. The people in the back were like, wait, verse 1? Ecclesiastes 4, verse 9, it says this. It says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their efforts. Just want you to see that passage real quick. Two are better than one. Some of you may be thinking, well, yeah, you know, definitely two are better than one. Um, but one thing that I want you to just be aware of, if you went to winter retreat, you kind of heard a little bit of Ecclesiastes, and in this book, it's a real kind of a downer of a book, because the writer is constantly saying that life under the sun is futile, it's, um, there's no substance, and you kind of are like, oh, what's the point in life? And so when you're reading Ecclesiastes and something um, positive comes up, you should listen, because he says two are better than one. But here's the thing, why? Why are two better than one? First thing I want you to know why two are better than one is because God created you that way. God didn't create you to live in isolation. In uh, Genesis, there's something that God says isn't good. It's the first thing that God says isn't good. And it's when he looks at Adam and he says it's not good for man to be alone. He's created us 
to be in community. And here it says two are better than one because we were created to work together. And that first or that um, verse that we just looked at, it says two are better than one because they have a good reward for their efforts. You guys, to break the cycle of insanity, God will bring you into community where you can be a productive Christian. Sometimes I think we're trying to break the cycle and you think I've been to live over and over again. I've been to Bible study, but nothing ever changes. I bet there are people that are not at live tonight because they're like, what is the point? I've showed up at live over and over again and my life is still empty. Because I want you to understand that your life being transformed won't happen coming and just listening to God's word. It comes whenever you become a productive Christian. We talked about that in Bible study literally this week in Jehai, a couple weeks ago in high school, that you were created to bear fruit, that you were created to be this productive Christian. For some of you, you're not living out this productive life for Christ. You're not moving with Christ. And so for some of you, you need accountability. You need somebody in your life to come alongside you so that you can begin glorifying God, so you can begin doing God's work. If you read through the Bible, Jesus sends out his disciples. And you know what's crazy? He doesn't send out his disciples alone. He's forming this group of disciples who are going to go before him to places he's going to come. And he sends them out two by two. He partners them up and he sends them out because God understands it's not good for man to be alone. And he understands the power of two. It says there, right? It says, um, because they have a good reward for their efforts. For some of you, you need somebody to come alongside you who will help work side by side. Maybe some of you are believers and you're like, man, it's so tough just living this Christian life alone. And maybe tonight what you really need is somebody to come alongside you so you can begin maybe sharing your faith. You need another person to come alongside you so you can grow and be a productive Christian. There's a great reward for your efforts. And then you continue to read on here. It says, for if either falls, his companion, this is verse 10, it says, for if either falls, his companion can lift him up, but pity the one who falls without another to lift him up. It's interesting he uses the word companion, because you hear the word two is better than one, but we're not talking about an acquaintance. I think one thing that's tough about us gathering at live sometimes is that we gather, and there's all these people sometimes that gather at church, and we have a lot of acquaintances, a lot of acquaintance, but we don't have any companions, people that you really share life with. We're not talking about people that you barely know, but he's saying here in this, pass, in this verse, in verse 10, he says, for if either falls, his companion can lift him up, right? Some of you guys need someone not just to come into your life and tell you everything you're doing wrong, but you need someone in your life who can come and lift you up, pull you up. There's an interesting story. Some of you guys have heard this before. Um, when I was in college, walked on to the college football team um, that was there on my college. I just really wanted to play football. And I remember doing summer workouts one day. And I'd just gotten back from vacation, and I was supposed to be working out, but I didn't. And I remember our strength and conditioning coach came in and he was the scary guy, like literally textbook scary coach. He had this scar down his eye. He played in the NFL, but he had this scar down his eye from some fight that he got in. And he was Samoan, like this big guy. And I remember he came in one day and he throws the water jug across the weight room and he starts yelling at everybody. He just starts screaming. He's like, you guys aren't taking this serious. And there were 11 guys that were missing from workout. 
And um, he had the guy, one of the assistant strength coaches count. And he said, here's what we're going to do. He said, we're going to run a 300-yard shuttle for every single person who's not here today. A 300-yard shuttle, the most I had ever done up to that point at one time was three. After practice, we had run three up to that point, and he said we were going to run 11. And I remember I'm walking down to the football field, and in my mind I'm thinking, gosh, I wonder when we're going to stop because we can't do 11. Like, that's impossible. There's no way. And I remember, like, we get up and we start running these 300-yard shuttles. And it's like, you, I remember, like, the first three shuttles we ran, you're literally like, okay, I can't run anymore. My legs are like jello. And then he says, get up on the line. And he blows the whistle again. And you're on number four, number five, number six. And I remember, you guys, after, like, around six and seven 300-yard shuttles, it looked like a war zone. Like, there were guys, these big linemen are, like, laying on the ground, like, oh, there's, like, there's people going behind the little gator, and they're just puking their guts up over there. And, I mean, literally, you're trying to make time, too, so they're literally just diving into the end zone, you know? You're just trying to make time so you don't run anymore. And there's guys that are, like, coming, and they're picking your teammates. You're like, come on, let's go. We got to do this, you know? Line up. And then you run number eight and number nine and number ten. And I'm serious, like I blacked out probably around 9 and 10. I don't know what was happening, okay, because it was, it was crazy. But I remember getting to 10. I remember getting ready around number 11. And I remember like around 6, I'm thinking this is impossible. But then around number 11, I was like, we're about to do this. Like we're about to run 11 300-yard shuttles, something I thought was impossible. And I remember we got up on that line, and I had this, like, this renewed energy. In the midst of this really difficult situation, I had this renewed energy and we ran number 11, and I remember walking off that football field thinking that I had accomplished something that no one else could ever accomplish. But what's crazy is if that coach would have told me by myself, if he would have said, Randy, I need you to go down that football field, I need you to run three, I need you to run 11 300-yard shuttles, I guarantee you I would have stopped at three or four and said, I can't do anymore. But because I had guys that came around me and they were lifting, literally at times, lifting each other up, saying, get on this line, let's go. I was able to run number four. I was able to run, run number five and number six. And you guys, spiritually speaking, what this is saying is that two are better than one because when you fall, there's somebody who can pick you up. And at the end of that verse, it says, pity the one who doesn't have somebody who can pick them up. And I just think about the cycle of insanity that you're in. And for some of you, that cycle is so strong because there really is nobody. There's not a companion. There's a lot of acquaintance at church, but there's not a companion that will reach down and say, come on, we can do this together. We can live for the Lord. We can do this. Because there's things in your life right now that have such a stronghold that you think, it is literally impossible for me to get out of this. And I'm telling you, God can take the impossible situations and through another person in your life that's coming alongside you, can help you do the impossible. And he will do that through accountability, through community, not just somebody who's saying, come on, get it together, but somebody who's saying, I'm going to pick you up and I'm going to encourage you. That's what I had that day. That's what... Um, the writer of Ecclesiastes is telling us that we need someone who can lift us up. And then he goes on, and it gets a little weird in verse 11. Right? He says, also, if two, lie down to, if two lie down together, they can keep warm. But how can one person alone keep warm? Some of you are like, well, where are we going with this? I just want to kind of redirect you real quick. Um, because in this day, this whole idea of keeping warm, you might think, well, we're talking about our girlfriend or boyfriend. No easy before you go there. In this day, they didn't have heaters. 
They didn't have electric blankets, and so you would have large groups of people that would travel together. They would stay outside. And so literally for people that were traveling, the only way for them to keep warm at night would be for them to huddle together and sleep close to each other so that their body heat, would help, their body heat could help keep each other warm. So that's what he's saying is how can one person keep warm alone? And maybe some of you aren't familiar with this, but this idea of warm, it's interesting. He uses that term. He says, so that you can stay warm, students, for you to survive, for you to live, your body has to stay warm. 98 degrees or whatever our body temperature is, it has to stay there. Hypothermia, your body starts shutting down when your body temperature starts to get 95 degrees or lower. Hypothermia starts setting in. You need warmth. And so when you hear this passage, when it says also if two lie down together, they can keep warm, but how can one person alone keep warm? What he's saying there is how can one person survive? How can one person survive if there's not somebody else right there with him to keep him warm? Because if he doesn't stay warm, that person is going to die. That's what he's saying. That literally we need other people not just to pick us up, but literally to sustain our life. Think about that. That you would need somebody in your life just literally to help you sustain your life. One of the worst forms of punishment is solitary confinement in prison where you just eliminate any sort of human interaction. And it literally, just 30 days, sometimes just 15 days or one day, actually, if you look at the research, one day or 15 days in solitary confinement will cause effects in a person's life for the rest of their life. Psychological effects, issues, just taking human interaction away from somebody. Because it's important that you have people in your life, not just to pick you up, but literally just to be close to you, a companion, not an acquaintance. And then this last verse, it says this in verse 12, and if someone overpowers one person, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. So two parts there. The first one is if one person is overtaken, then another person can step in and help that person resist. It's this idea of community and having accountability is somebody who comes and gives you strength. Because sometimes you just need somebody else in the fight with you. And I want to encourage us, because I keep saying this over and over again, because I want our idea of accountability to begin to shift. But we don't always need someone to just point out the wrong, but we need sometimes for people to get in and fight with us, to push back. That idea there is that there's more power when there's two people pushing together. And students, I just feel like we are in a culture, we talk about isolation, and just what, a few months ago, and we still have people who are social distancing. There are people that are isolating themselves, and it is a dangerous thing for this cycle of insanity. And students, when we gather together, this is so much more important than just singing songs, but this is literally a community that God is giving us that could possibly save your life. And we want to help you foster that community. We want to help you, not just hear messages, but help you connect, help you build relationships. I'm going to talk about that here as we close. But before we close, let me just mention this last part. Um, if you caught... There at the end of verse 12, it says this. It says, if someone overpowers one person, two can resist him. And it says, a cord of three strands is not easily broken. It's interesting, it goes from two, two, to three, to three cords. Because there is a third element 
in this process of breaking this cycle of insanity. And that third element is your relationship with Christ. I use this passage a lot when we're doing weddings. Um, when I'm doing weddings, we always talk about this cord of three strands. And you're sitting there, you're talking to the groom and the bride. And you'll share this passage. Some people will tie this, they call it a unity knot, where you braid three cords together, one representing the groom, one representing the bride, one representing the Lord. But it's not just bride and groom. It's literally in your community, in your circles. You know, if you just have the two elements, other people and you, it's really just two strands. And if you try to braid two strands together, tie them at the end, they just don't really stick together very well. But something powerful happens when you add a third strand and you add a third cord because a third cord allows you to create a braid. And a braid, you can mix, you can mix those three cords together you can tie it at the end, and it will hold tight. Some of you girls might know that concept better than others, but when you introduce that third cord, it holds that, those strands together. And so when you think about community, we need each other. We need each other with the component and the element of Christ in our life. If we're going to break the cycle of insanity, if we want to stop doing the things that we hate, 